welcome my friends to another episode of Muscle Maven Radio. Thank you for being here. I am your host, Ashley Van Houten, and I think I'm extra grateful today to bring this episode to you um, because I got so much out of it, um, and I think it's something that is literally universally helpful. Um, so I'm going to get into that a little bit more here in the intro. But first, I got to say another exciting thing that's going on. If you have not been following along, if you're new here, I have a book out. I can't believe I'm saying that. It still feels weird to say those words in that order. But I wrote a book and it's out there in the world now. The book is called It Takes Guts, which I think is quite clever. Personally, I'm kind of biased because I came up with it. But the book is about nose to tail eating, specifically focusing on organ meats. And it's a cookbook. It's a recipe book. But it is a lot more than that. Um, there's there's certainly plenty of recipes for you to enjoy, but a big part of this book for me was about uh, education and encouragement and understanding. Uh, and so I talk a lot about my personal stories around eating and food and caring about what I eat. And I think there's also a big sort of just educational component about why approaching meat eating this way is important for our health, for the planet, for animals, for the ecosystem, for the economy, for every reason you can think of. Um, and uh, it's, you know, my hope is that it's funny and that it's entertaining and I've got some good stories for you and some stories about where the recipes came from and my journey learning how to cook these foods myself um, because I'm not a trained chef, you know, I kind of trained myself. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it. I launched the book uh, this month and it's been doing pretty well. It's been doing well in the Amazon rankings. People are sending me lots of nice, encouraging messages. I'm very excited. I'm feeling, again, very grateful about it. Um, but I'd love for you guys, if you haven't checked it out yet, or if you have questions, or if you want to know more, reach out to me. Um, you know where to find me, Instagram, at The Muscle Maven. My email is in the show notes. Uh, my website is ashleyvanhouten.com. That's in the show notes. Um, but you can find the book on Amazon. It's called It Takes Guts. You can find it on Barnes & Noble, Chapters, wherever you want to buy books. It's there. And I hope you check it out. And if you get it, I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you make some delicious recipes and share your experience with me. So that's that. But on to today's episode and why I'm so grateful for it. My guest today, his name is Robert Mack. He is an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert and happiness coach and an author. And he is one of the world's leading experts on the relationship between happiness and success. And so that's why I think this is universal, right? Like sometimes I talk about keto, sometimes I talk about carnivore or I don't know, weightlifting or whatever. And it doesn't necessarily always apply to everybody, but this applies to everybody because everybody wants happiness. Everyone wants the absence of sadness. Everyone wants peace and contentedness and success and joy. Whatever that means to you, we all want it. And this man has done a lot of work in understanding how our brains work, how we uh, how we think, how we sabotage ourselves a lot of times. Um, and he's had to really work through this himself because of his own struggles and issues with depression and suicidal thoughts and all of these things. So another thing that I want to uh, let you know off the top is that we do talk about some deep topics. We do get into suicide and depression. Um, and so this episode may not be appropriate for everyone. Um, but I will also say that this is not a deep, dark, depressing episode. This is an episode that deals with real things, but is actually incredibly positive and uplifting and fun. Um, and Rob is just such a kind, um, 
and helpful human being. I'm so glad that we were connected and that I was able to kind of get this one hour personal therapy session with him that I think is also going to be helpful to a lot of other people. Um, but it's, it's really cool because again, he's done the work, he's done the research, um, to understand why we have so many struggles, um, with finding happiness, with finding, um, our joy, no matter where we are in life, no matter what struggles we have or lack of struggles we have even. So we get into things about the difference between happiness and peace and success. We get into the difference between internal and external um, sources of happiness and why we really need both, but maybe sometimes the balance is off. Um, and we talk about reframing our challenges and adversities and tragedies as something that can make you stronger, not something that broke you and that you now need to be fixed. Um, because as we know, literally everything in life is all about your perception of it. It really is. Like, I don't want to get all like matrix woo-woo with you, right? About whether we're in a simulation and all this is real or not. But it really is true that how you feel about your life is the reality of it. And so if you choose to feel like a victim and put upon and tired and sad and like it's not worth it, that's what your life is. And if you choose to feel the opposite, that's what your life will be. Um, it's so crazy too that Rob even talks about some research about your an individual's subjective feeling about their health and their happiness matters more than their actual health. I mean, so if you if you're a crazy crazy super high performing healthy person, but you hate yourself, you hate your body, you feel terrible, um that is going to be reflective in your happiness and your enjoyment of life. Whereas if you're maybe, you know, not the fittest person in the world, maybe you're kind of more of a um I don't know, chill, sit on the couch, hang out, eat what you want kind of person, but you feel good about your level of health, you feel good about how you take care of yourself and your body, you're going to be better off. So it's, this is subjective. Like this is all about how you feel about your life and yourself. Um, and there's a lot of power in that. And I think that's important. So anyway, okay, I'm going to, I'm all rambling all over the place here, but I'm excited about this one. I think this is going to be really, really helpful for a lot of people. I certainly hope that it is. Um, and if it is, please share this episode with someone that you think can benefit. Reach out to Rob um, on social media and his website and all of that stuff. We'll put it in the show notes for you um, because he's an incredible human being. Um, and that's it. No more rambling from me. Here is my awesome chat with Rob Mack. All right, Rob, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a little while um, trying to set this up, but this has been, I'm sure for everyone, uh, kind of a crazy few months, I guess we could say. Um, but, but I think that you, I'm so glad that you're, you're coming on the show because you have, let's say a special set of skills that is so relevant to every human on the planet. And I can't say that about every guest that I have, because sometimes people have a very specific niche that really is kind of only applicable to certain people with certain goals or issues. But I think that somebody who, um, focuses on happiness is a person that, anybody can learn from. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of your expertise. The pleasure is all mine. I appreciate you saying that. I certainly feel that way too. I mean, who doesn't want to be happy, right? Or at least at peace. I think that's what yeah. we're all after. So thanks so much for just inviting me into the conversation and for the kind words. 
that actually leaves me with another question immediately. Okay, while I write down my, my question for you, why don't you uh, just introduce yourselves uh, or introduce yourself to our listeners and just kind of tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to this line of work? Yeah, so I mostly work as a celebrity happiness coach. Um, and that does not mean I only work with celebrities. I work with everyone who has an interest in being happy. Um, I am a positive psychology expert. And so positive psychology is this study in science Ivy League study in science of what makes life worth living. It's based on empirical data, it's time-tested, face-valid. So thousands and thousands of studies that have found what does and does not lead to happiness and what does and does not lead to success as well. And so there's this intersection between success and happiness. And that's really where my work uh, sort of bears fruit. Uh, I grew up really unhappy. So it's funny that I would be a happiness coach because I was the last person on the planet, I thought, that could ever be happy. I felt like I was unhappy the day I was born, practically, my first memories are of crying and being upset and being self-loathing. And I always thought I would grow out of that. That did not happen, at least not right away. It mostly got worse as I got older. It got worse as I did better in school and did better uh, in sports. I mean, I was salutatorian in my high school class, but I was also voted most shy. I was painfully uncomfortable um, in my own skin. And I experienced this existential angst. So existential angst is really this notion that hey, we're all thrown on this planet. And when you really look at it, it's a little disturbing. You're not given a rule book or guidebook on how do you live your life. And you work really hard to achieve and acquire and accomplish all these things and to love these people and to get them to love you back. And then one day, hopefully not today, but one day, they're all, it's all ripped away from you by death. And that idea, that thought of death, really never did seem to leave me alone. Yeah. And I got to a place where I eventually decided I was going to kill myself. You know, so I researched ways to do that and basically decided I was going to slit my wrist, went into the kitchen, got a kitchen knife. You probably still, I don't know if you can see in the camera, but still have the suicide test marks on my wrist. And a uh, really strange thing happened in the moment um, as I started contemplating and really committing to killing myself. And that is that I started to experience this like inexplicable peace for no good reason. I just felt real like joy and limitless love and I could not explain it right so I decided at that moment I was going to postpone suicide for like an hour which was like a really long time to me then because I was deeply deeply depressed and unhappy and I spent that hour researching ways um, to kind of solve for this happiness thing for this depression thing and I found a little bit of material right then so that hour that I postponed suicide bled into several hours, then several weeks, and next thing I look back two decades later, and I'm here, you know? So it's kind of profound. Kind of. I mean, yeah. we're one minute into this interview, and I'm like full body goosebumps. Okay. I mean, I actually don't think it, it's that, that crazy that somebody who grew up so unhappy has now found this path. I mean, I personally, both of my parents are child behavioral psychologists, and so I have a little bit of insight into like, just trying to understand sort of psychology and the way people's brains work. But I know for a fact that both of my parents uh, went into this line of work because of their own sort of traumatic or um, challenging upbringing and, and what they dealt with as children, right? So that, that part of it really doesn't kind of surprise me at all. Um, I have so many questions that I want to, <laughs> to ask you, and I almost don't know where to start, but I think, can we, okay. So you had this, you had this like light bulb kind of life changing moment. And when this sort of 
moved on into weeks and you're doing some research and you're kind of changing how you feel about life. Like how did that translate into, okay, I get this sort of second shot. Now I want to like turn this into a, a profession and, and a way to help other people who are experiencing maybe the same thing I did. Great question. So, um, and by the way, I should have known that both of your parents were child list and child, you know, child psychologists. I mean, unbelievable because your wisdom and uh, the light just kind of shines through you. I don't um, know. You'd think, you'd think I'd be super well adjusted and I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, but, well, or the there, opposite. But anyway, there is something to be said for being well adjusted to a somewhat sick society. Right. So we could always talk about that as well. But you know, um, I, I took the long scenic path and route to happiness like most of us do it was like two steps forward and like 10 steps back it always felt that way so no matter what i read no matter what i applied it felt like it would work a little bit in the moment maybe and i would have a hard time sort of staying disciplined around it and then it didn't seem to work at all over a period of time but as i continued to stay with it it would get better right and so this happened for years and years and so the suicidal ideation that i was experiencing in my young childhood in my adolescence my young adulthood even as i applied a lot of the principles, I still continued to experience that suicidal ideation. And I had continued to experience the depression to a large extent uh, for years. Um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was kind of freewheeling it. And I was just picking pieces here and there and reading and applying. And I was trying to track it. And that journal of tracking the happiness activities that were working and forgetting the ones that weren't eventually became a book. And I didn't mean for any of this to become a profession, quite frankly. It was a very selfish endeavor. I just wanted to be happy. And what I had decided was that I was either going to live blissfully ever after, or I wasn't gonna live at all. Like, so it was a very life or death kind of commitment for me. And I think that in a lot of ways, when I really doubled down on that life or death commitment, and I became that desirous of being happy and peaceful, it really helped to promote me in terms of that happiness and peace itself. So that kind of drive and that desire, longing really to be happy was in some ways already happiness itself beginning to bloom and blossom a little. So in any case, um, it took me solid, I don't even know, 10 years probably from that point forward before I really began to get my arms around this happiness thing at all. I did a lot of things in the meantime. I was working at a consulting company, great company. I hated the job. I liked the people, but just really felt inauthentic even being there. Um, stopped working there. I went back to business school and I was paying for it by doing like entertainment related stuff. So I was modeling and acting, which for me, what seems so, you know, left field because I had no, you know, I think thoughts in my head at any point in time that I would, could do any of that kind of stuff. But, you know, necessity sometimes requires you to do things. So I was doing that. And then I was just reading everything I get my hands on. I found a program at the University of Pennsylvania. That is the Applied Positive Psychology program. It's a master's degree. And I uh, matriculated, matriculated into that program. But at that point, I was pretty much very solid in terms of my happiness practices and what was working for me and what wasn't. And so that kind of helped to solidify a lot of it. Um, and then when I came out of that program, I'd already established a private practice. My book was already in the process of being published. Um, so things kind of began to evolve from there. Okay. So I think, I feel like a lot of these questions that I'm going to ask you are certainly, there's probably an element of um, subjectivity maybe. And, and some of the answers probably in a lot of cases are like, well, it kind of depends on the individual, right? Because none of this is like a black and white science. Um, but I'd love to start with, from your perspective, because one of the things you said at the very beginning that, that kind of like lit a, a light bulb is, I want to be happy or at least at peace. And I 
I wonder, like, are those two different things? Like, what to you is the difference between just being at peace with yourself and with life and actually being happy? Are they the same or are they different? It's a great question. And it brings up a point, which is that it's easy to get lost in semantics, right? And I think that's one of the things that I want to always be careful about as an expert um, is not getting lost in semantics and yet still being clear. So I would say the best way to know it is by tasting it, right? So it's like honey. The only way you really know it is by experiencing it, by swallowing it. Um, but I would describe happiness as peaceful aliveness. At first, I think we mistake happiness for entertainment, for lust sometimes. We mistake it for uh, external validation. We uh, mistake it for pleasure, anticipation, uh, lots of these things, excitement. Uh, it's none of those things really. It may include those things, okay? But there's a deeper, more lasting, abiding, and meaningful, peaceful aliveness that exists within you sort of as you underneath the surface of all your thoughts and emotions. So back of, behind of, between, beneath, below and above, your thoughts and emotions exist this sky, essentially, of lasting and meaningful and abiding peace. But it's an alive peace. It's a peace and a stillness and a silence that sings and it dances and it celebrates. It's not a dead peace. It's not a dead kind of experience. It's not a boredom kind of experience. Yeah. Um, and so that's the way I would describe it. I think scientists would probably describe it a little differently. But um, I don't know, I feel very confident in the way I described it only because I feel it. Yeah. I do want to get a lot into the, the piece about sort of internal versus external validation and all of that stuff. Because I think that's a huge part of why so many of us struggle today, maybe even more than ever in history. But um, another kind of higher level question that I wanted to ask is... Um, how you maybe as a coach and how other people can determine whether they need to seek out help um, that may be more um, medical in nature versus um, just having a coach or having a, a shoulder or having a professional to speak to and like how people know which approach to, to move forward with or to start with when they feel sad or depressed or even suicidal like how do we know which which direction to go in that's a great question so you can always go take the cesd which is essentially a test for depression it's always a great place to start um you can also always check when in doubt you know always check with the professionals you know the one sort of um hallmark of depression is really um any kind of um sort of deep depressive state that disrupts the normal function of your life, right? So if it gets in the way of relationships, it gets in the way of you um, enjoying things that you normally uh, enjoy. And so that's always a, also a good sign where you suddenly lose interest in things, maybe suddenly lose motivation. You don't want to wake up or you just don't really want to do the things that you're normally used to doing. Um, if you have thoughts of suicide, most certainly if you have begun to create a plan or you know someone who's begun to create a plan around taking action on those suicidal thoughts, that's certainly, of course, a good, a good sign. Anytime somebody suggests that they might want to hurt themselves or somebody else, definitely want to take notice of that and definitely want to seek out professional help. I would say that, you know, um, when in doubt, seek out help. Yeah. And so um, that's always a safe um, approach. You know, the difference between, um, you know, coaches and therapists sort of depends, but therapists generally, it's a licensable degree, right? And they have the license. Um, and also they're going to take a much more sort of methodical and time-tested face valid approach. It's going to be very helpful. Coaches, the best coaches also do that as well. And so the best coaches really have a very strong foundation in, um, you know, psychology, uh, different schools of psychology, psychology and, and thought around psychology. Um, you know, but generally speaking, Coaches tend to be a little bit more assertive in the advice that they give. Um, psychologists tend to really focus on, which I think great coaches should do as well, they focus on holding space for unconditional regard. So the one thing we know about 
the most sort of healing or therapeutic relationships in the world is that the therapy can matter depending on what you're struggling with, but the therapist matters more than even the therapy. And what matters most about the therapist is their ability to maintain or hold or entertain unconditional regard, right? Which is essentially another word for unconditional love. So there's non-judgment, space of non-judgment. So essentially, no matter who you seek out, if you can seek out someone who makes you, who's in present, who's, who in their present, you feel presence, you feel peace. That's yeah. always a good sign. Okay. That's yeah, that's a big one. And I think, I feel like that, that can be um, daunting for a lot of people too, who I know uh, are seeking out maybe a therapist or a counselor or whatever. And there's like this shopping around period that has to happen too, right? Because just because someone looks good on paper or may have worked really successfully with a friend of yours doesn't mean that they're going to work with you because it's a relationship, right? And it has to feel right. Ashley, you just nailed it. I mean, my gosh, that's why I love conversations with you. <laughs> like it's amazing. And it's amazing how many people, and I never suspected this, how, you know, how many folks will come to me after having seen traditional therapists because they said they felt judged, you know, or they felt like a lack of peace or they felt less peace or they felt less love. And that's not the intention, I think, of any uh, great therapist, any great professional. Um, the one thing you're wanting to vet for, whatever it is you're wanting to sort of accomplish or achieve or experience more of your life, you want to make sure that you feel more, at least not less of that in the presence of this professional. And at best, you feel more of that, right? And so that's a very key component. People can look great on paper, but just notice how you feel in their company. Yeah. Has the nature of your work or the topic matter or the things people are asking you about or anything changed significantly since the whole COVID situation? Or is it, is it at, at its base, the, the, the real issues and challenges and answers are still kind of the same. Like how has it changed or at all? Yeah, I would say that the, um, you know, there's, there always seems to be a, an infinite number of problems, like countless problems, but the answers seem to be pretty finite, right? And so at the end of the day, most of us get quickly lost in thought. And yeah. as much as I like psychology, and I love psychology, um, psychology also sometimes can create its own problems for us, right? Sometimes we get lost in our own psychology and our stories in our head. And that's essentially what stress and, and depression often is, is really just rumination, right? We're thinking over and over and over again, these very redundant negative thoughts that aren't supportive or constructive in any way. And that's, you know, so what I've been noticing most recently is that we're getting a magnification of whatever was there already, right? So if loneliness was there already, we get a magnification of that. If, you know, folks were feeling for the most part loved and supported, get a magnification of that. Um, but I would say that generally folks are feeling increasing stress and anxiety um, overall. The future seems as uncertain as it's ever seemed and unpredictable as it's ever seemed. And that being said, where there's unpredictability and uncertainty, there's also incredible opportunity, right? And so part of the challenge and opportunity now is to learn to think and speak and work and play in increasingly supportive and constructive ways. And science has a lot to say about that. And while we all need to customize it, um, we can load the dice and roll the dice in ways that will lead to hopefully increasing peace, love, and happiness based on real science. Mm -hmm. So you say that you, you often work with celebrities. And so I want to kind of dive into a little bit of what I can think of as our, like the sort of North American, very privileged culture and the maybe somewhat unique set of uh, challenges that we have living in North America and the world and technology and all the stuff that we're dealing with right now, because it does seem to be, and people who travel maybe can, can speak to this and understand it, that people who have a lot um, tend to be almost more unhappy 
sometimes in certain ways than people who have less and that and conversely i suppose another way to say that is having things doesn't make people happier even though we keep trying and we keep thinking that it will and we keep thinking that maybe just for us it'll it'll be you know maybe when i get the abs i'll be happy maybe when i get this much money i can stop and stop freaking out and i'll be happy and even when we see that it doesn't work that way for other people time and again we somehow still think that it will be different for us um, and I just, I think that that part of our culture is so fascinating and really in a lot of ways so insidious because we do have this culture that promotes success being very externally focused and very much like how much, how popular are you? How much do people like you? How successful do you look to other people? Um, and I think that that's what makes it increasingly, I think, complicated too, is that we can't completely separate that desire for external validation because it is a part of being human, right? Like, it, I, think it's, I think it's a lie to tell people like, oh, well, I just don't care what anyone thinks anymore. And it's, it's helped so much. Like, come on, everybody cares. Everybody cares what other people think. You can, you can, of course, tip the balance there maybe. But like, so I guess all of this sort of ranting is, is just to kind of lead you into this conversation of, of how do you manage that? Because I would imagine that must be a massive part of what you're dealing with. You're dealing with people who, by all accounts, to most of us, seem like incredibly successful people who have everything going for them and obviously are still seeking out your services. So what's the deal? Yeah, you, I mean, you said that so beautifully and poignantly. Honestly, you did. I mean, just beautiful context there. It's true. You know, the, if, if positive psychology has done nothing else, it has made crystal clear that success does not lead to happiness and success in, in no area leads to happiness. So interesting enough, most of us think, well, even though we'll say they wouldn't believe that money leads to happiness. That's not the way we live, right? We don't often behave that way. and It doesn't touch us in a real visceral way. So, you know, believe it or not, if you're making below a level of subsistence, meaning you're making about $75,000 or less, particularly here in the States, um, more money will mean more happiness, essentially. Um, I wouldn't call it necessarily happiness, but more comfort and certainly um, an increase in your subjective well-being. Okay. Once you make over $75,000 know, in the States, you begin to experience the diminishing margin of utility of the dollar. So each dollar gets you less and less happiness until you eventually get to a place where you kind of flatline, about $125,000. Now, that means that more time, energy, and effort dedicated to making more money isn't going to bring you more happiness, but it's just going to bring you more stress and responsibility. Okay. Also, sometimes we think health. Well, certainly health has got to be correlated with happiness, the healthier you are, you've got to be happier. But we find that's not true at all, that objective health is not tied to happiness, that instead, subjective health, your perception of how healthy you are, is tied to happiness, which makes a ton of sense, right? So you can have a terminal illness and still not be deeply compromised in terms of your happiness. That might take an extraordinary person to feel that way. But generally, it's subjective health that's tied to happiness. How about marriage? Well, we all know marriage doesn't correlate with happiness very well. In fact, when you first get married, you get a small bump in your happiness, and then that bump, that honeymoon phase, eventually, you know, peters out, and you basically return to your original baseline level, sometimes worse, right? Kids, kids aren't tied to happiness. In fact, your, the first kid causes a decline in your happiness. It's not statistically significant. The second kid causes a statistically significant decline in your happiness, and your happiness doesn't return to its original baseline level until those kids leave the house, right? So whether it's 18 or 35, you know, so, you know, in all ways, really, um, you know, success doesn't lead to happiness. That being said, happiness does lead to success. So we've got lots of evidence that's shown that the happier you are to a certain extent, 
the healthier you are, right? So you live a sexually healthier life. You also live a longer life, you live 67 years uh, longer than unhappy people. You make more money. So happy people make about 600 to $700,000 more on average over the course of their entire lifetime than unhappy people. Happy people also get married younger. They, get, they stay married longer and they're happier in all the relationships, whether they're married or not, because it has nothing to do with marriage, right? And so really in all ways, happiness is the greatest success, but it also leads to success. Okay, I'm just going to take a minute to absorb yeah. that. <laughs> a, lot to, a lot to digest there. <laughs> that is a lot. I mean, and I do, I do remember reading things similar, like echoing what you're saying about like there's sort of a law of diminishing returns after a certain amount of money and that sort of every additional kid is kind of like, again, diminishing happiness until they move out of the house, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but Okay, so I guess then the next question, because I'm also very always like goal oriented, like tell me a problem, great, like let's just, let's get to how, what we're, how we're gonna fix this. So how does one, especially, and I think this is relevant to all of us because we all are so connected online. We're all so in this world where we're comparing ourselves to each other constantly and we're seeing everybody else's like the highlights of their life and comparing it to our lives and all of these things. But working again with celebrities who are just like this, we see them as this sort of different group of people. How do you approach this? It's, it's fine to tell people on paper, like here's the reality of the situation, but like how do you make them switch yeah. in their head? So such a, I mean, beautiful question. So what, what do you experience a lot of, and you see this playing out more now than ever, is the cognitive dissonance that yeah. exists for most folks, and particularly for celebrities, right? So at, what is cognitive dissonance? It's inner turmoil, right? And it's usually two thoughts that you have that are in conflict with each other, or two beliefs that you have that are in conflict with each other. They contradict each other in some way. And so they have this story in their head that yeah. essentially is telling them that more stuff, more money, more beautiful men or women will, in some way, more fame, popularity, will some way, somehow, improve or increase their happiness. At the same time, they're bumping up against the reality of that not being true. That no matter how much money they've gotten in lots of ways, it's like that old you know, Biggie song, it's like more, mo more money, more problems kind of thing, right? And so what often happens though, is you get to this point and cognitive dissonance by its very nature wants to be resolved. And so what happens with a lot of folks, uh, celebrities included, is that they just resolve the cognitive dissonance by doubling down on their original erroneous belief in that more money, more things, more popularity will mean all, make all the difference in terms of their happiness. But you've got others who come to a very real um, sort of understanding that that won't work any longer. They become hopeless and stressed and anxious and sometimes deeply depressed and even suicidal, right? And so that's the other way sometimes folks resolve it. In neither of those cases would we call that necessarily a healthy, happy resolution. The only yeah. real happy, healthy resolution is to recognize and realize that you're going to the hardware store for milk. You can't get what you're wanting to get out of the stuff, out of the likes, out of the popularity, out of more money. You just can't, it doesn't work that way. So you have to kind of do a about face and realize and recognize that if you really want to be happy, it truly is on the inside. And then that's where the real work starts. Hey, everybody, interrupting my own damn podcast here to tell you about today's show sponsor because they're important. And before you skip through this, I got to tell you, this is one of the biggest discounts that basically any company ever offers for things like this. It's 20% off. So maybe you want to listen to this one. I'll keep it brief. You guys know already, Bubs Naturals is my only source for collagen and MCT powder, which I am using consistently every day in my coffee, in my baking, in my protein oatmeal, in my bone broth, whatever I'm eating basically is going to have one or both of these products in it. Um, you know, what else do you need? Collagen, coffee, chocolate, organ meats, 
that's it. Uh, Bubs makes the best collagen. It mixes better than any other product I've tried. Their MCT goes into my iced coffee every morning and mixes really well. It makes it creamy, full of healthy fats for if I'm not going to have a big breakfast. I just kind of want to get going, but obviously still need my coffee. Uh, and also, this company gives a full 10% of their earnings to a charity that supports military veterans, which is an important cause um, and one that I support and will continue to support. So they're a company focused on giving back first before making money, which I think is actually pretty rare uh, in this day and age. And they just happen to make great products. So it's a win, win, win all around. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use the code MM20, which stands for Muscle Maven 20% off. So MM20 at bubsnaturals.com. Go get some collagen for your gut health and your beauty. Get some MCT to support those low carb goals and do something to help the world all at the same time. All right, that's it. Back to the show. Okay, so let's talk about this real work. Okay, yes. so so you're dealing with someone, and and so let me also just back up. So you still like? Would you say that the majority of your work is still working like one on one with individual clients? Okay. Yes, um, and yeah. I'm, you know I'm always saying I want to scale, and yet in some you know to a large large degree, there's just something so powerful that happens with one individual because their situation is unique. Yeah. And I mean, I would imagine, I mean, some things are easier to scale than others. Like it's one thing to just give somebody like a workout program or something. Right. This is like, this is kind of a different situation. Um, okay. So then you're working with these individual clients and you're, you're having these conversations and they're starting to accept and warm up to the fact that this is work that has to be done internally. There are some fundamental changes that need to take place within yourself. Um, what is this work? What is the work yeah. that you do? So on one hand, there's the sort of the science of it. This is psychology work, right? And, and at some point, psychology comes to like a place where it can go no further. And that's when something different happens, okay? But I would call it, to a large degree, it's self-awareness, okay? It's emotional regulation. It's self-soothing. A lot of it is just around noticing what you think and noticing what you feel, right? And so folks that are familiar with mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, it's essentially the work, right? So it's coming to an awareness where you are increasingly clear, and cognizant of what you're feeling when you're feeling it and what you're thinking while you're thinking it. And then, and then in the beginning, we're really just helping people to see it in other or new ways, to challenge some of these thoughts and challenge some of these beliefs. That's a large part of it. And then we go beyond that at some point because even the most positive story, even the most supportive and constructive one, isn't always going to be true. And it's, always, it's not always necessarily going to be um, stress-free or problem-free either. And so part of it then goes from being sort of around, mega, let's call it metacognition, which is being aware of what you're thinking or thinking about what you're thinking about, mm -hmm. to meta-awareness, which is just being aware of awareness itself. And so underneath your thoughts and emotions is something that's aware of the thought, it's aware of the emotion, okay? That is what I would call true self-awareness. It's the self that's really thoughtless and wordless, that's faceless and formless, it's observing whatever's happening in your life, right? Whether it's a thought, an emotion, experience, relationship, and from this place of sort of deep centeredness and awareness and perfect peace, you then better relate to your thoughts, better relate to your emotions, better relate to other people from a place of healthy, happy wholeness, right? And so, so much of the work is really diving deep into getting them to that point. Now, look, lots of the folks I talk to, we don't really ever get to the point where I can simply encourage them to observe their thoughts and observe their emotions from this place of perfect peace. Uh, that's too much, at least too much too fast. Um, but we certainly can help them realize that thinking negative, redundant thoughts over and over again that aren't supportive is not going to lead to a happy life. Yeah. So 
I feel like I, I am kind of asking some like leading selfish questions. It's funny because it goes back to what you said at the beginning that a lot of your work that led to your career was like this selfish stuff because you were trying to figure out your own issues. And I feel like that's, I've said this before about having this podcast. I feel like it's selfish because I just get to have these awesome people on the podcast and ask them questions and like learn for myself. And then, oh, it's also maybe helping other people. Great. Um, but one of the kind of selfish questions that I have for you is I think a lot of times Knowledge, I mean, knowledge is good, generally speaking, knowing more is better. There's probably, again, a tipping point where having too much information can be paralyzing and problematic. And also, knowing a certain amount about psychology can almost help you sometimes build up walls even higher. And this is, again, something that I'm speaking to with my own family that I have noticed very well that we do real good in my family, all the psychologists is we can use this ability to understand how our brains work to build up walls even higher. And I, I believe this about myself and I understand this about myself. And so the question that I want to ask you is, I feel like, and maybe if you worked with me, you could, you could tell me you're actually very wrong about this, but I feel like I'm quite self-aware. Like I feel like I am quite aware of my sticking points and the crappy things that I tell myself that aren't true. But I almost am able to like override this self-awareness and just sort of ignore it somehow. And I feel like that's almost more problematic because it's one thing for someone to just be oblivious. And then you do this work and you understand and you uncover and you're like, oh, wow, I have the self-awareness now. I can go run with it. Whereas there's someone like me who's like, yeah, I know my problems. I just don't want to deal with it. So <laughs> like, how do you, how do you approach somebody like that? Who, who you can get to that level, but then it's like they, they, that's their sticking point. They have the self-awareness that they just don't want to do anything with. Yeah. So it's just great. I mean, it reminds me of this, the first joke I learned probably when I was pursuing a degree in psychology was like, you know, first of all, what does one psychologist say to the other? They say, you're fine. How am I? Right. You get a little bad, which is like a total lack of self-awareness, but I can know about you, you know? And the other one was like, you know, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? It's like just one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Right. <laughs> it's like, True. Okay. And like that is ultimately the major challenge and opportunity in my life and my work is that I want it so much more than most of my clients, quite frankly. And they will even say that. I will say, look, I, you know, and so I've learned over the course of many years doing it the hard way that the best thing I could possibly offer is my unconditional regard and an acceptance and appreciation for where they are. And that when real change happens, it doesn't ha happen because I want it to happen. It doesn't happen in the direction that I want it to happen. It happens when I let go of needing it to happen. And I simply meet them where they are and let them stay there. And the beautiful thing about life is that, you know, life is the greatest teacher anyway. I'm, 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 I've disabused myself of this idea that I am some incredible teacher teaching people things that they don't already know. Life is a much better teacher than me. Her costs tend to be exorbitant. That's fine. <laughs> so somebody who's not ready for that change can, like me, just suffer more. You know, the beautiful thing about time is that it will give you opportunities to, you know, feel that through and notice if that's working for you. And uh, at some point, if it's a real problem, it'll be more painful and then that'll heighten your awareness and you can go seek the help or make the change at that point in time. So I don't try too hard to push people in directions that they're not really, really well, uh, willing to go. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, I think it's mostly just about them coming to an awareness of what they're feeling more and more. So it's so easy to be stuck in your head. You know, I think any of us who experience addictions or anything like that, so much of the problem is that you go so fast and you move so quickly and you think so quickly that you're not there to know that you're not there, 
right? You're, you're not aware that you're absent in that experience. You don't know that you're just, you don't know, you're, you're too unconscious to recognize that you're unconscious. You're too distracted to know you're distracted. So if I can bring you back to a place of presence where you're really experiencing the pain or the pleasure of the present moment, suddenly the awareness dawns in and of itself. And you're like, oh, I don't want to touch this hot stove again. It really is freaking hot. Like, I don't need to do it again. Um, so the whole work really is getting people to just notice and recognize what their body and what their emotions are already telling them, which is that their best thinking got them to this place of pain or unhappiness or stress or anxiety. Yeah. I think that's, there's a lot of wisdom in that, that I want to just like sit there with it for a second, because that's a bit of a, a, a learning experience that I've had through my work and a little bit of the sort of like health coaching stuff that I've done and with podcasting and public speaking and all of these things where when I first got into this like health and wellness world, I wanted to help people very much. And I tend to be a little bit of like a, I don't want to use the word aggressive, but you get what I mean, right? Like I just, I really, like, I really want to tell people and fix, fix people and help people. And it would frustrate me at first when people would come to me and say, I want help. And then I'd say, here's the help. And they'd say, I don't want it. You know, like it would be very frustrating. And it took me years. And I'm sure you probably had maybe a similar experience too, where, yeah, it's like, there's a wisdom and like a, a just life experience that comes when you're like, I can't force this on people. What I'm going to do is continue to learn and gather my own understanding and do the best that I can and maybe live by example. And when people come to me and so all of this is like my mom coming around to maybe fixing some things in her diet 10 years after I tried to get her to, you know? So like she finds it in her own time. Like you said, maybe that's 10 years more suffering, but like she needed to do it, right? Um, and I think it's, it's really easy to say that, but it is hard to do when you care about your clients or you care about your friends and family members and you see them suffering and we don't have all the answers, but we may have some answers that could help them. But if they're not in the right place, like there's nothing you can do except be there when they need it, right? Actually, so beautifully said. I mean, man, I just want to give you the biggest hug. I'm getting shivered. Oh, I know, because, I wish. Yeah, I mean, one day soon, you know? Yeah. Like so much power in what you said and uh, so much wisdom in what you said. Uh, two of my favorite expressions. One is um, a person convinced against their wills of the same opinion still, right? So you gotta be careful of persuasion and influence, um, particularly when mm -hmm. it's forceful. So, you spoke to that really eloquently. Um, the other thing is that you're right. Like, you know, the first five years of my practice, I had an agenda and a very structured kind of, you know, approach to my clients. And I really tried to will them there into a place of change. And I uh, realized the full foolishness of my ways. And that leads to the other expression, which is like, you know, I discovered that most people weren't seeking advice as much as they were seeking an accomplice. You know, they wanted to, someone to co-sign what they were probably going to do anyway, what they wanted to believe anyway, and that's okay. And that, and that by my resistance often, I was actually unknowingly, unwittingly co-signing to them for them on this original belief that you have. We call that confirmation bias, but people generally double down. So this is why arguing with people is always a bad idea, generally, is that if you really want to convince someone, arguing with someone is generally a bad idea because people double down on their original erroneous so-called belief, right? So, um, you know, that, again, it comes back to me mostly to holding space. Yeah. And I think also part of it is a recognition that I'm not very smart, that I can't always perceive what's in somebody else's best interest as much as I'd like to think that I can. I don't even, I can't even perceive what's generally in my best interest all the time, right? Some of the worst things in my life have turned out to be the best. Some of the best things in my life have turned out to be the worst. And it's always changing and flip-flopping. 
And so this is where psychology comes to an end, right? And you begin to talk about something different. And maybe we can talk about a transfer of responsibility or we talk about spirituality. And of course, there's a danger of spiritual bypass and all that there as well. But there's something to be said for this idea that whatever infinite intelligence hangs the earth on nothing, spins it on its axis, revolves it around the sun, keeps that sun shining, keeps us just far enough to not freeze, just close enough not to burn up. Like that same infinite intelligence is in you as you beating your heart, breathing your lungs. And it's probably a lot wiser and knows a lot more with respect to what this other person truly needs. And maybe what it really needs is just not you in its life, right? In his or her life. Or maybe it needs to do exactly what he or she is doing. And so I've become crystal clear about that. that like, I'm not nearly as smart as I'd like to think I am. All right. I, I might argue that you're, you're pretty damn smart, but okay. So we'll, <laughs> I'll receive that. We'll I'll receive that. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on from there, but pretty damn smart. Okay. How much of, do you think, and again, this is probably like a very much, it depends, but maybe not. How much of people's happiness or peace do you think is in trying to eliminate stressors or bad things versus trying to add good things or happiness or even just your perspective on what those are because it seems like there there's like two camps there's people who are like i've got this weighing me down i've got this bad relationship i've got this toxic whatever i need to get rid of it and then i'll be happy and then there are people who are like i just need a little bit more money i just need a good partner i just need whatever so there's like the people who want to get rid of the bad and there are people who want to gain more of the good is it all kind of just the same or do you think these are two sort of separate schools that they need to be dealt with differently yeah, um, it's a great point. And to some extent, they're much similar, much more similar than they probably realize, right? Yeah. Obviously, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. But the truth is they, um, so I'll, I'll break this down into, there are levels to this, I'd say. And so from a scientific perspective, we can certainly say that there's a formula, essentially, for happiness. And the formula is um, C plus S plus B. So the idea is that circumstances, um, you know, make up for, they've found 10% of your happiness. So that means when your life is perfect, when you have infinite money, perfect friends, perfect relationship, maybe money relationships, you've got perfect health, all that together combined only adds up to about 10%. You can only account for about 10% of your overall happiness rate, okay? 10%. I would argue it's probably even less than that, but we're just going to go with 10%, okay? And then there's the S, that's your genetic set point. Genetic set point, we're all born actually with um, a happiness predisposition, okay? Like a baseline level. Um, what's interesting about that set point is that it's malleable. And so it can change. Unlike height or eye color, you can actually change your happiness set point by doing things that contribute to your happiness or by staying away from people who detract from your happiness. But essentially, you can change your DNA. You can turn off that genetic code on or off, right? And so they found that the genetic code is about 50% responsible, but it's malleable. So it means that's also within your control, the 50%. And then 40% of it, are voluntary activities, right? You've probably heard about a lot of these things in the news, like gratitude journals, counting your blessings, um, you know, acts of kindness, you know, spending time with friends and close um, relatives and things like that, but just people that you bond with. So there's essentially 90% of your happiness is up to you. And that's the scientist saying that. I'd go further than that and say some of the folks that have seemed to be the happiest in the world have often been the ones who have suffered the most tragedy, uh, tragedy or adversity, right? And so at a deeper level, I'd say that it's not really, uh, positive psychology would say, look, you can't just remove the dysfunction or illness from people. And that's essentially the work of Martin Seligman. You know, he found that if you just remove the dysfunction from people, okay, you will not get a happy, healthy individual. You just get a flatlining one, okay? That doesn't make for a very 
exciting or a good life, quote unquote. You know, in order for a good life to exist scientifically, you need at least five things. You need pleasure, you need engagement, you need relationships, you need meaning, and you need achievement. I think they've added another element, which is sort of social, right, connection. Um, but it's PERMA is the idea, right? But I would go beyond that, and I would say that in my life, the one thing I found is that even when I don't have a whole lot of pleasure, I don't feel particularly engaged, my relationships aren't very wonderful, and I don't feel like I have a lot of meaning, and I'm not achieving a whole lot, there's still this underlying, lasting, meaningful, and abiding experience of peaceful aliveness on the inside. And so I would, this is where I sort of take a detour from both camps, and I say, look, happiness isn't just about removing stuff. It's not just about adding stuff. It's mostly about noticing what never can be added and what can never be taken away. That is itself self-awareness with a capital S, and that's an experience that we all have all the time, but we're just not aware of it. It's kind of like watching a movie on a movie screen. You become so distracted by the images and the acting on the screen, you forget that behind the screen is this unmoving, unshakable, unconditional screen yeah. of awareness. That screen exists within you as you, and that I would call happiness. Okay, this is, this is like such a great therapy session for me. <laughs> okay, do you have any more things I can, I can get out of you here before I, uh, I let you go? Okay, so there's two big things that came out of that that I want to talk about. One, you mentioned this, and I think this is a common experience for a lot of people who say that some of the happiest people they know in their lives are the people who have been through the most and have had maybe the most tragedy or like just things that happen in their life that are, you know, incredible. Um, is there some sort of science to this that the way human brains work that we almost have to in a lot of time in a lot of circumstances like hit a rock bottom for us to bounce back and understand you know like so people say like to get healthy like i had to hit this rock bottom before i made a change and and so conversely like there's like this this you know i'm a writer too i actually just wrote a book i have a cookbook coming out it's a whole thing but anyway i'm a writer very excited and i i used to kind of joke a little bit like you you think about like the hemingways of the world and the sylvia plaths and and it's like people who it's like you have to have some major trauma in your life to be a good writer, to be an artist, right? Like how could a well-adjusted person with like a relatively happy childhood, how could you be a good, a good artist? Like that's not how it works, right? Is there some truth to that? And that's not to say if you're a happy person, you can't be successful. But is there something about the way our brains work that we almost have to experience these wild fluctuations to come back and, and go towards the other side? Absolutely. No question okay. about it. Beautifully said. And you're dope. That's amazing. Like you have, there's nothing you haven't done. I gotta just put that out there. That is amazing. Like, working on really, it. Really, we got so much more to talk about here. Yeah. Um, so yes, no question about it. You know, um, you know, one of the greatest skills that you can build in this lifetime is resilience or grit. Right. Yes. Resilience and grit comes from experiencing some tough stuff. You yeah. know, um, I used to think as a kid that the luckiest people were the folks that lived charmed lives, and then later, as I had my own coaching practice, I realized, oh my goodness. Those are the folks who suffer the most to a large extent, right? The ones who have escaped all suffering, escaped all adversity. Um, if you look at about the story of, of, of Siddhartha, Buddha, right? What was that? His dad essentially tried to protect him from all these things, or seeing all these things like aging and disease and, you know, and, and what happened? I mean, he had this seemingly pretty good life, but he went out forest and he became an ascetic. And that's essentially what led to his enlightenment, right? And, and we, so we know that. And we also know that, you know, so there's entire body of research around resilience, um, and there's also an entire body of research around post-traumatic growth, right? Mm -hmm. So one thing we know is that um, even those of us who don't seem very resilient or not resilient at all, it's often those folks who experience the most growth as a result 
of trauma. So post-traumatic stress disorder gets most of the time, energy, and attention, and you know, airplay these days. But post-traumatic growth is a much more common occurrence for most everyone. Even those folks who experience post-traumatic uh, stress disorder often still experience post-traumatic growth and improves your life. Your life is improved and enhanced in lots of ways that you wouldn't have imagined previous or prior to that trauma. And so, yes, without question, adversity at the very least, even if it's not traumatic uh, with a, or trauma with a capital T, even if it's you know small traumas with a small T, um, or something less than that, just simple adversity, it weeds out weak relationships, it strengthens strong relationships, it helps you to reprioritize your entire life in ways that will contribute to a meaningful, purpose-driven, passionate life. And so, yes, we don't want to wish the adversity away. And while I certainly don't want anybody to be in pain or discomfort, I don't want anybody to experience too much stress or anxiety, a lack of those things is problematic in and of itself, yeah. right? And so you probably see a lot of um, research even around like overparenting, you know, and um, that's not for a second to blame parents um, for overparenting because we know it comes from love, but overparenting can be a problem just in, the same, in, in different ways than underparenting can be a problem. And so, yes, you nailed it. We all need adversity. Adversity is very helpful. It helps us grow. Yeah, I mean, it helps us build coping mechanisms, right? Like if you live in a bubble and then the bubble pops and you're out in the real world and you've never sort of learned how to deal with anything, then that's, yeah, that can be uh, very tough. And, yeah, and it works on the same principle that, you know, you getting shredded, you know, with weights, right? Like, like me too, why do we go to the gym? We go to the gym in order to push our body, basically to tear down these muscles so they'll build themselves back up, right? What's, a, what's an immune system? Immune system is getting exposed to low levels of, of you know um, some kind of toxin or whatever or bacteria infection whatever so that you can actually build a strong immune system same thing with psychological immune system works very much the same way so yes um no question about it adversity and challenges and um even tragedy can be very helpful in your life and i actually remember just listening to a another podcast with a like a sports psychologist that was really interesting and it, it was uh, along similar lines to this saying that um you know, you, you do need challenge and some failure to succeed generally, but it's not, luckily, it's not, there isn't like a, you have to have this much failure or you have to fail this many times or you have to have this much trauma. It's just, you need like just enough challenge or failure to keep you challenged, to keep you going and to keep you interested. If things are easy, that's boring and people don't try anymore because that's not how our brains work. We need like a certain amount of yeah, like a little kind of challenge, something to like get us fired up, right? Oh, Ashley, just so beautifully uh, said, um, you know, I was listening to um, Jonathan Haidt. So Jonathan Haidt was one of the teachers that uh, I went to UVA for a semester between figuring out what I was going to do with my undergrad um, sort of life. And then, I, and then he would taught at UPenn and he wrote a book called Calling of the, Amer of the American Mind. And it's really all about that to a large extent, even something like play, even as kids when we play, the play is intended to actually expose you to different kinds of like risk and help you to build sort of resilience in that way. But it's, it's such a good point that you make, you know, um, the right dose matters, right? But nobody really knows what the right dose is. So we yeah. can't really describe the right dose. Life has a way of delivering a dose. And as people, we generally kind of have a feel for that. But what is psychological state of flow? When you're in psychological state of flow and you're 500 to 1,000% more productive, efficient, effective applications, whatever you're doing, and you happen to really deeply enjoy it because you're so absorbed and so consumed with the activity, that psychological state of flow is basically that place where the challenge just barely exceeds your skill level, right? So it's just the right dose that throws you into being, you know, the zone where suddenly you're Michael Jordan, you're putting up 60 points like anybody else is throwing a layup, you mm -hmm. know? 
the hoop. So that's exactly right. We um, need just the right dose, and sometimes it's hard to know what just the right dose is. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about this happiness set point thing that you are born with, but that you can kind of change um, as you, you grow and learn. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I, I remember reading some things about obviously like maybe trauma or whatever going on with the pregnant mother could maybe have an effect. And maybe there's even some psychologists out there that speak to um, particularly traumatic births having an effect on people as they grow. And I, I don't know much about it, but can you just talk about maybe how that happiness set point is sort of created within individuals and then how we can kind of play with it? Yeah, it's such a, such a good point, you know, um, and I won't be nearly the expert uh, that lots of folks out there are, but, you know, essentially we're kind of hardwired for certain things, right? So there's a, we're sort of hardwired for um, novelty seeking, for instance, okay? And we sometimes find a correlation between novelty seeking and criminal behavior. That doesn't mean that everyone who is hardwired for novelty seeking will become a criminal or anything like that, but it does mean there's a correlation. Um, same thing is true with um, optimism, right? And, uh, and, and happiness. And so we have a kind of become hardwired in the same way, way that you come kind of hardwired for eye color or height. The difference is this is the kind of hardwiring that can be changed. So it's like you can get a software update, simply by thinking new thoughts, by surrounding yourself with different people, by eating healthy foods and things of that nature. And so you can begin to kind of make this or take this, this sort of mold that you have and begin to form it in ways that you desire simply by these voluntary activities, okay? Part of the way that's done is through neuroplasticity. I'm sure you know a lot about neuroplasticity, but essentially, you know, if you decided today to pick up a new healthy habit, let's say, and you practice that healthy habit for 66 days, you will cause your brain to sort of fire and rewire in ways that support that new habit. And it's very effortful in the beginning, but that effortfulness leads to effortlessness in the end, right? So about 66 days later, you'll find that your brain is rewired for a healthier, happier, and much less effortful experience of whatever that habit happens to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it just so happens that for most of us, society at large, and sometimes our parents, and sometimes those close to us, aren't focused on happiness, and they're not focused on particularly inner happiness as much as they're focused on other things, making money, you know, being a productive person in society and all these other things that are great and fine in their own uh, way. But really all those things are for happiness. And so if you really care about happiness, you need to really be intentional about going directly to the source for it instead of trying to route it through so many different things and people. And um, so not a whole heck of a lot helpful in terms of the science around the hard wiring, but you know, it can no, be it is. It is interesting. And I, I, I just had a, um, a guest on Dr. Andrew Huberman. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but the Stanford neuroscientist, he was just on Joe Rogan and on my show, basically Amazing. the same. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but he's fantastic and he really speaks to it um, really, really well. But it, it also goes to this, this problematic thing in our culture where we want everything immediately because you're talking about this sort of 66 days-ish sort of situation that you have to do things consistently to see changes. And, and again, bringing it back to sort of health, whether it's fat loss or body composition changes or skill acquiring or any of those things, so often people are giving up like if you went one more day, you might have seen a change that would have spurred you to continue. You know, like we, we have this like threshold where we just want to see, I ate healthy for three days in a row. I don't have abs yet. Like, what is this? You know, and, and I get it because we're all human beings. We all, you know, crave that instant gratification. But this concept is so important. And I think it goes back to, again, what is actually important in your life because so many people have come to me over the years and said, like, I want to, again, I want to have a six pack. 
or I want to lose weight. And I'm just like, first of all, that why, do you know why? Have you thought about why? Like, do, do you really like, you really put some effort into this. And also the idea that a lot of these goals that people think are, are coming from within, or they think they're really specific and, and uh, a goal that's going to lead to other things is really just something that they picked up scrolling on Instagram or something, or somebody told them enough times that they should do it. Right. Um, so kind of bringing this full circle, um, for those of us listening who maybe aren't celebrities, maybe there's some celebrities listening to this podcast. I don't know these days, but for most of us normal people who are listening to this, but this is still very applicable to us. Um, we're on social media all day. We're trying to figure out what, what is going to bring meaning to our lives. We're trying to be happier. What are some like tangible things we can do every day in terms of possibly like understanding the goals that we want to set, understanding what it means to have meaning in our life, understanding the changes that we have to make. Like what are some things that people can walk away with today that they can consider or do or try um, that could help them sort of on that path? Great question. So I'd say first and foremost, educate yourself. So step one is already in process here, right? Where um, anybody's listening is already educating themselves. So you want to really, really drill down on that and make that a major priority in your life. I, I've always argued that happiness needs to be a career. It doesn't have to be a career the way it is for me, but it needs to be a career in the sense that it's the number one priority and purpose of your life. Okay? If it's not, I promise something will always come first, you know, or somebody else will always come first. And you'll never, you'll always find happiness to be elusive, if not. So that's number one. Number two is, you know, once you've educated yourself, the, all the other tips and tricks will essentially follow. Most of the science is the same thing. But to that end, so one of the easiest things you can begin doing today, even without knowing a whole lot about the science of happiness, is just making a list of your happiness items. Those are things, people, places, that with very little time, energy, or effort, allow you to feel uplifted, inspired, happy to be alive. Make a list of those things, and then do what you can to spend more time with those people in those places doing those things, period, right? So that's like really, really critical. And especially commit to doing those things when you're not feeling so great about your day or about yourself, okay? Because pattern interrupts and distraction, believe it or not, is a very helpful happiness tip and trick, especially in the beginning, okay? Getting your mind off the things that really hurt. Also recognizing that if you can keep your mind off of the problem when you're in most pain or when you're stressed out the most and try not to have those difficult conversations and make those big decisions when you're feeling a low mood is extraordinarily helpful because it puts you in a much more creative place to find solutions later. Like the answer to the problem really are at different levels of consciousness. They really are, um, you know, just on different pages entirely. Okay. The other thing I would say is this, and that is at the end of the day, and you said it really well earlier, you know, psychology is so phenomenal and I have so much deep and infinite appreciation for psychology, but sometimes psychology is also the disease for which it pretends to be the cure. And, you know, and by that, I simply mean that, yes, do what you can, certainly seek out therapists, certainly seek out professional help, but also realize and recognize that if you're spending all your day thinking about living life or thinking about being in a relationship or thinking about what's going on in your life, you are not living it. And living your life is very different from thinking about your life. You know, living your life means appreciating your life and not always analyzing. It means that if you're evaluating it all the time, you can't possibly enjoy it. And so that means learning to get out of your head more and more. Right, and so that's what the practice of mindfulness is about. Meditation is about one of the greatest tips, tricks, and tools I've ever discovered is a micro meditation. It's simply one breath that you take for the simple and sheer joy of that breath, as though it's the last breath you'll ever take on the planet. You do it only to enjoy it, and you let all your thoughts go. Okay, if you could just do that one thing as often as you remember throughout the day, no matter what else you're doing, you'd be 
wowed and inspired by how quickly your life began to transform in all kinds of miraculous and magical ways without so much effort. Uh, so I'd say those are my top four or five. Or <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. That's very <laughs> No, that's so good. This is, it's been, okay, this is incredible. This is going to be one that I listen back to. I got to admit, I don't listen back to a lot of my podcasts because, you know, I don't need to hear my own voice anymore than I already do, you know, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes you gotta, you gotta listen back. This has been so incredible. And I think, again, just to kind of close the loop on this and and I think reiterate one of the things that, that you're saying, it's something that I've said a lot, again, speaking about health and like wellness and nutrition and fitness is that instead of thinking of getting fit or getting happy as like a, an end goal, like I got to just do this and then I'm here and then it's done. We all know that's not how it works, right? Because life is always evolving and changing. Your health is, your happiness is, your relationships are. So to just kind of switch the perspective to this is a lifelong journey that's never going to be completed, but instead of letting that kind of be discouraging to you, look at it like it's an adventure and there's always things to learn and ways to evolve and get better. And that switch in perspective, I think, can just immediately make somebody happier because I've seen so many people who are very empowered and intelligent and understand their body so well, but they don't give themselves credit for how hard they've worked, for how much they know. And they keep seeking, again, maybe somebody like me, like a coach to tell them what to do. When I kind of say like, look, you, you know more about yourself than I do. Like you give yourself some credit. Like just look at this like, this is your life. This is, this is it. Like, just go enjoy it and learn and, and work on it. And you know, that's what life is. It's not just let's do these things in three weeks and get to the end. That's not what it's about. Right. Well, you, you nailed it. And we live in a society that's increasingly intrinsically, extrinsically motivated okay? yeah. and intrinsically rewarded. And that's what social media to a large extent often is. It doesn't have to be. Um, but you just nailed it. It's, uh, impossible to live a life. If all of your goals are extrinsic goals and that you're extrinsically motivated and extrinsically rewarded, right? And, and, and there's a much deeper, happier, more enjoyable way to experience life. And that is a life that where the, the end goal, which you think of as happiness, is not just found in the destination, but it's spread all over the means so that every moment is one that you intend to enjoy. Even if it's doing something you hate, it's like, can you enjoy swiffering more? Can you enjoy laundry more? Can you enjoy everything more? And part of the way you do that is you're right. It's not thinking of it as a problem to be solved or a series of problems to be solved, but a mystery to be lived and loved, an adventure to be had. And if you are clear that you are going to die, really, really understand that, that you're going to die, whether it's today or 70 years from now. And for that reason, no moment is guaranteed. And this is the only moment in your hand you could possibly control. You can't put a finger on the future. You can't touch the past at all. The only power you have is to do what you can to enjoy the present. And that if you do that, by doing that, you increase your odds of success at everything and anything. But you've got to mean it when you say it. When you say, I want to be happy here and now, or I want to enjoy the moment. That's even better. I want to enjoy the moment or who I'm with or what I'm doing more. And often that means by staying out of my head about it and being more in my body about it, you suddenly discover that not only you enjoy the moments more, but those moments when strung together make for a happy life and you're much more successful at everything and anything you're doing because you're not just focusing on the extrinsic reward or goal. You're not just focused on the destination, you're focused on the journey and each step you take is a meaningful one. Yes. I don't think we can, I don't think we can top that. So maybe we'll just, we'll just close it here while we're both ahead. Um, <laughs> Rob, thank you so much for this. Can you, can you tell uh, our listeners where they can go to follow you and learn more and check out your book and maybe work with you if that's a possibility? Absolutely. Ashley, by the way, 
Thank you so much. I mean, you are such a gift and I mean that. I mean, you're beautiful inside and out. You are absolutely brilliant. I mean that. And you've got this incredible light that just shines through. And I appreciate you having me in the conversation. I really mean that. I live for these conversations. Um, so for those folks who want to find me, you can find me at uh, coachrobmack.com. That's my website. You can find my book everywhere great books are sold, including Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And you can find me on most social media platforms at Rob Mack, M-A-C-K, official. I'm usually and mostly on Instagram. Um, but yeah, those are the best places. Sweet. Yeah. And we're going to have to do a part two where we just talk about fitness stuff because I didn't even get a chance to ask you about that. But that's obviously a big part of the situation too because I'm like scrolling through your Instagram. I'm like, all right, this dude works out. So oh. <laughs> I take notes off you, Ashley. I take notes off of you on all of it. You are know, but I take notes off you and I do it. I mean that. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. You are a beauty and a beast. Oh, thank you. That's, that's the best compliment I can receive. <laughs> also, shout out to our mutual friend, Elle Russ, because she is the best. She connected us and she is just an amazing person. And I, I honestly feel too that like one of the best things that I've gained from this industry is making friends and, and building a community of connectors, like people who just connect each other with awesome people. That's how positivity and messages spread is just connecting awesome people with other awesome people. So shout out to Elle for hooking us up. Love you so much, Elle. And Elle, you're right, is she is the definition of Mal Malcolm Gladwell's super connector. She's a 100%. super unbelievable. It's like, yeah. oh, Rob, I know this person who knows this person. It's like, yeah, I got you. I'm like, wow, Elle, that is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Elle. She is the best. Um, all right. I'll let you continue on with your Monday. Thank you so much for your time. We're going to do this again, hopefully in person. And uh, I'm, I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. All right. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Rob for giving us so much valuable information. One of the things that really stuck out to me that he said, and you know, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but it's this idea that we have to all understand and be okay with the fact that we're all going to die and that nothing is guaranteed in this, this life and that your only power is in what you do in the exact moment that you're in. Um, and I, again, I think that's kind of empowering. I think it's kind of calming almost. It's like, we're all here temporarily. We've got a finite amount of time. We don't know how much that is. So let's just do the best we can be as happy and as joyful and as present as we can be. And there, there can be no regrets in that. Right. So I think that's an awesome place to, to end off and, and, take into the rest of your week and the rest of your life. Uh, shout out again to my friends, Bubs Naturals. Uh, I am literally, no joke, uh, drinking some iced coffee right now with their MCT. Let's see if we can do a little ASMR here for you. Hold on. I don't know if you heard that or if that was gross to you. Sorry, but I'm literally drinking it. So I practice what I preach, guys. I don't, uh, I don't have partners and sponsors that I don't actually love and use, and I love these guys so much. We have a new discount code um, for Bubs, their collagen and MCT, because apparently someone hacked my last code. Super weird. So the new code is MM20, like Muscle Maven, 20, MM20, for 20% off. They're amazing products. Go to BubsNaturals.com. Get on it. It's smart. It's delicious. It's good. Take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for supporting me and everything. And I'll see you here next week.